So we've been working through the story of Lazarus, John chapter 11. And we're still working through the story of Lazarus, John chapter 11. So we're going to put the first verse up there, I hope, maybe. Ta-da! Verse 36, it says this. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. What's happening in the story is Jesus has just gone through this entire dialogue with Martha and Mary. He's there on scene. He knows that his friend has died. He's witnessing the grieving and the mourning of the Jewish people. And Jesus is deeply, he's moved. He's shaken up. He's actually, he's grieving. And he's grieving for the Jewish people. He's grieving for the people that he was sent to bring the gospel to. He's grieving for the people that that just don't seem to get it. See, he has come to them to bring them something new, a new relationship, a new way of engaging God, a new way of living this, this faith that they've been living for thousands of years. And he's grieving for them, he's crying for them, because they don't, they don't understand, they, they, they just don't get it. In fact, this verse tells us that they completely have lost sight of why Jesus is weeping. They think he's weeping for his friend. And this, this one little verse, it's, it holds a lot of weight for us. It's, it's, it's one that many times we just kind of gloss over. It's not written in red, so it's not the words of Jesus. We just kind of read through it, and we don't spend any time really thinking about it. All it is is really an observation of the gospel writer about what the people were doing, what the people were thinking, what they were saying. But in the context of what we looked at last week, that Jesus is weeping over the people, This verse holds a lot of weight for us. This verse is very, very meaningful. See, they really don't understand what Jesus is going through. He's not grieving over his friend like they think. He's not grieving over the death of Lazarus. They are missing the deeper truth of what Jesus is experiencing, what Jesus is going through. He is grieving over hopelessness. Jesus is grieving over the people's hopelessness. He's watching them mourn as they were mourning without hope. And if they're mourning without hope, then there's a very good possibility that they live their lives without the hope that Jesus wants to introduce them to, that Jesus wants to bring them to. He loves these people. He is broken for these people. And these are the same people that some, in not so the distant future, some may be shouting at him to crucify him as he stands before them, beaten and bloodied. But he loves them, and he's broken for them, and he's come to bring them the good news of the kingdom of God. And they, and they, they just... They just don't get it. Jesus is ultimately going to die for these people. That's, that's how much he loves them. That's how much he's broken for them. Now, I want to take some time this morning. And, and because as I read this verse and I went through the story, there's so much more that, that I could have kind of gone with in different directions. But I kept coming back to this one verse over and over again. And I prayed through it. And I'm like, man, I just, I, I can't get off of what this is te- what this this um, this verse was telling me during the week i want to i want to talk this morning to the jesus followers here i want to talk this morning to the people who have made the commitments to follow christ in your life and we're going to talk about 
the things that we possess as followers of Jesus. Now, you may be here, and, and maybe, maybe you're not quite there. Maybe you haven't made that commitment. That's okay, because the things that we're going to talk about, they're for you too, by putting your faith in Christ. And so, man, if you've been around church for a while, you will hear nothing new this morning. In fact, I will guarantee you that we have talked about these things over the last couple years. But I, I do believe that, it's, that we, as the people of God, always need to be reminded, always need to understand and be reminded who we are in God's eyes. How does God look at us? How much he loves us? We need to be encouraged by that because sometimes life just, just punches and pokes and prods and pulls and kicks us down. And we have to, we have to understand how God views us. We need to know the truth of Jesus Christ. And we need to know the truth of who we are in Jesus Christ. Now, for us who have read the Bible, we've been to church, we've listened to the sermons, we've read the books. You see, we, we have this, this head knowledge we, we know all this stuff. We, we know, you know all the promises of God. We get all that. We know who we are. But do we really believe? I mean, really, do you really believe the things that God says about you in the Bible? Do you really believe how much you are loved by God? I mean, do you really believe it? Do you understand what we possess because of Jesus Christ? And maybe, maybe a better question is, do you live your life in a way that reflects who you are in God, who you are in Christ. Remember, Jesus, he is weeping over these people because they have no idea how much God loves them. They have no idea how much God wants to gather them to himself and to, and to just kind of love on them in an all, just a completely different way. They have no idea what they're really missing. I wonder if they really knew, these people who, who made this comment, if they really knew why Jesus was weeping over them or why Jesus was weeping, would that have changed their life? Would, would that have changed the way that they were living if they just understood why Jesus was so upset? And, and put yourself there. If you were there watching Jesus weep and you understood why he was crying, would that, would that change the way you live? Would that change how you believe, how you engaged your faith? Would you live differently? See, we all know these truths. We all know that God loves us. We all know about grace. We all know, and we all know, and we know, and we know, and we read, and we know. But do we really believe it? And are we really living it? And so I want to just take some time in, in review so that you can leave here encouraged by who you are in Christ, that you can leave here encouraged by just hearing again how God looks at you and how much he loves you. Let's go to John chapter 1, verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children 
of God. Because of the work of Jesus and for those who have believed in him and have received him, you are God's child. You are his beloved son, beloved daughter. You are cared for. You are accepted. You are looked after. You have a home. You are not on the outside looking in. He's your dad, the creator of the universe. You can call dad and he is perfect perfect in his parenting of you he's complete in his love for you you cannot compare god the father to our earthly parents or even to ourselves as parents we are not perfect we are far from perfect but god in his perfection is the perfect parent Perfect in love, perfect in discipline, perfect in everything. And you are his child. For all those who receive Jesus, all who believe in him, you are called his child. You cannot be loved any more than you are loved right now. You can't earn any more. There's no more to give. There's no more love that he has. It's it's, it's perfect. And I know you know that. Do you really believe it? I mean, do you really believe it? And, and does your life, the way you live your life, does it reflect that belief? Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ, the followers of him have been justified and have peace with God. Justified means that you have been declared innocent from all the charges that sin has been that has brought against you. You are innocent of all the charges that sin has brought against you. We all have fallen short of God's glory, but you have been justified because of your faith in Jesus Christ. You are now innocent. But I want you to understand something. We have to be very clear on this. Faith in Christ equates to a relationship with him. And in this relationship with Jesus, it should create in you a conviction when you fall short of God's glory. And all that conviction in your heart is is the light of God pushing against the darkness that's in you. And and so there there should be something in you when, when you fall short of God's glory, when you're doing something that takes you outside of the harmony of God that just causes that, ugh. And it's a conviction and, and through that relationship, that, I mean, it's, it's, it's God just pushing back. No, 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 that's not, that's not the way I want you to live. No, that's not, that's not what I have for you. No, this is, this is the better way. And so, so within this relationship, I'm sorry, in this relationship, we have been acquitted from our sin. You are no longer guilty. And you are now at peace with God. You are now at peace with God. In the Hebrew, it's, it's shalom. It's just, it's just being completed and reconciled back to the creator of all things because of Jesus Christ. You are no longer his enemy. God is not angry at you. He is not looking down his nose, disappointed with you. Because of Jesus in your life, 
God approves of who you are. Do you get it? Do you understand it? Jesus is not pointing his finger at you and yelling, just wait until your father hears about this. Listen, if you, if you realize your need of a savior, if you recognize that there's a conviction in your heart when you step outside of the harmonies with God, if you're not arrogant enough to think that you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, because I got Jesus, man, if, 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 that's, if, if, if that's you, then Jesus takes you by your hand and he brings you into the presence of the Father so that you can know compassion, so that you can know love, so that you can be picked back up again, so you can be made whole, so you can have that peace, so you can know that you are once and for all forgiven. A relationship with Jesus Christ means that you walk in a perpetual state of forgiveness. But do you live that way? Or do you hang your head in shame? Thinking God's always mad at you. You're afraid of him. He doesn't really like you anyway. That's not who you are in Christ. It's not. Pick up your head. Lift up your eyes. Stand up straight. Shoulders back. You are at peace with the creator of the universe. Ephesians 3. In him and through him, I'm sorry, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Come to God with freedom and confidence. Now you can speak to the creator of all things, the one who just by his word spoke everything into being. You can come to the one who spoke you into being the one who knew you before you were in your mother's womb, the one that knit you when you're in your mother's womb. You can speak to God without restraint and without any reservation. This is not, being, this is not arrogance. This is not being presumptuous. This is coming before him in openness and honesty and with a sense of awe with everything, everything, Everything in your life, you can come before God because of the work of Jesus Christ in your life. Everything. Those things that you want to hide and keep to yourself, you could, just, you could just come before him. Are you angry with life? Circumstances, man, you could just, you could just bring that right before God. Are you, are you angry with God? Man, you can do that too. In confidence and freedom. Disappointed, hurt broken are you at the end of your rope you just can't go on anymore you can bring it without reservation before god do you have questions do you have doubts do you have questions for god do you even doubt god you can bring those things before god in freedom and with all confidence your father loves openness and honesty and he always loves a good question you might not get the answer you want but god will he will answer. He knows what's in your heart before it's even in your heart. You can't hide anything from him. And because of Jesus in your life, you can bear your heart open, raw, and honest before him. You don't have to grovel or feel that you have to. You can stand 
straight up, head held high, and know that you've been invited into the presence of the King of Kings, knowing that he is listening to you, knowing that he is caring for you because of the work of Jesus Christ. That's, see, that's the confidence I think that we lack as believers. That's the confidence that we lack in, in our faith journey, that we can come before God. We are invited. He's not standing there with his arms crossed saying, ah, oh, you again? He's standing with his arms open saying, come, 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 come here and talk to me. Do you live that way? Or do you believe the lie that whispers in your ear that you're just not good enough? Or that, you know, God's, God's never going to forgive that. Or maybe you just feel sometimes that he just doesn't care. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's a lie that your enemy wants you to believe so that you will not stand before God in freedom and confidence and bring everything to him. Always. There's not a moment in your life where you cannot come before the creator of all things in your brokenness, in your joy, whatever it is. And you're invited to come. Do you live that way? Do you believe it? I mean, if you believe it, does your life reflect that belief? Hebrews chapter four. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is the ultimate high priest, and he is the one for all time making a path for us into the throne of grace, making a path for us to stand before God. In the Old Testament, the the high priest would go into the temple once a year for the people, once a year to, to, to ask forgiveness for the people. Now for all time, Jesus Christ stands before the throne of God on our behalf, on our behalf that our sins are forgiven. And we're to hold on to that faith. We're to hold on to that faith that we profess with strength and with courage. Hold on to the fact that you are God's child. Hold on to the fact that you have been justified once and for all, and you now have peace with God. Hold on to the fact that you can come before him in freedom and in confidence, knowing that you've been invited into his presence. Begin to let your life Reflect what's up here. Begin to let your life reflect what you believe. And I love the rest of this verse because it goes on to say that, that this high priest, this high priest, he knows how difficult life could be for us. He knows the things that we go through. He has been tempted in every way that we have been tempted in. Yet he did not sin. He's God. But he has been tempted in every way. You know those temptations that just grab at you and gnaw at you and pull and push you. Jesus has experienced those things. He has been tempted to lie and to cheat and to steal. 
He's been tempted to live outside the harmonies of God. He's been tempted, Jesus Christ, tempted to put his own agenda before the Father's agenda. To put something other than his relationship with the Father first in his life. Jesus was tempted with that. He was tempted sexually. It says he's tempted in all things. That means somehow, in some way, Jesus was tempted in that way. He was tempted with pride. He was tempted with arrogance. He knows what we go through, and he knows what those temptations do to the human spirit and do to the human soul and the suffering that it puts us through when we're just like constantly gnawed at that. He knows our weakness. He's experienced them. He knows what it's like to be betrayed by friends and family. He knows what it's like to have a parent turn their back on him as he cried from the cross, why have you forsaken me? He knows that brokenness. He knows physical pain and suffering. He knows emotional pain and loss. He even knows spiritual doubt and frustration and pain. When he was in the garden, he's asking God, if there's just some other way we can get this thing done, I'm open to it. He knows what we go through. He knows your brokenness firsthand. He's experienced it. And because of that, we we can come to the throne, find grace. We can come to the throne and find help and grace and grace and peace and rest and grace and security and grace and forgiveness and grace and strength. Do you live your life in a way that reflects the grace of God in you? I mean, we always talk about grace. We always hear grace this, grace that. But, but do you live it? I mean, do you really? You know what? In order for you to be a graceful person, you first have to receive and accept the grace God has given to you. Do you live that way? I mean, do you, do you believe it? Do you believe it? I mean, I know you know it, but do you believe it? Because if you believe it, your life would reflect it. You are no longer condemned because of Jesus Christ. Last verse, Corinthians three, sixteen. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? This is a very powerful verse out of the book of Corinthians. It's very forceful and, and to the point. Many times when Paul wants to remind people of something, he'll use something like, you know, for even you yourselves know, and then he'll go on to remind them of some truth that they already know. But, and, and that's the kind of nice and soft, and it's a, a nice way of kind of reminding the people that he's writing to, but not here. This is very forceful. This is very to the point. Do you know who you are, he's telling them. And there's this sentiment mixed in there like, Like, why don't you get this? Why don't you know who you really are? This should be second nature for you. Paul is speaking to them about the way that they're living or about the way that they're not living. And this isn't about do's and don'ts. This is not trying about trying to behave. They have not seriously considered what it means to be or to live like the people of God. And they're missing the points. And Paul's like, why don't, don't you know who you are as God's people? They are not living the life that reflects that they are God's temple. 
And he tells them the spirit of God dwells in your midst. The spirit of God dwells in your midst. Now, I believe that many times we'll take this verse out of the context, uh, the way it was written. We just kind of focus on, you know, the spirit, we're, we're God's temple and the spirit lives in us. And, and that's true. That's very true. Those, those people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the spirit of God is now living inside you. This is very true. But Paul is not addressing the individual here. Paul's addressing the, the communal entity called church. He's speaking to the group of people. And he's telling them, you are not living the way you should be. You're not living in the reality of who you really are. The Spirit of God is in your midst. That when the, 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 the group of people that come together and call themselves church, when they gather in the name of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God in all its power and in all its glory is in their midst. The presence and the power of God was there with them, and the presence and the power of God is here with us. And he's telling them, you just, you're, just, you're, just not, you're just not getting it. You're just not living your life that way. Either they have forgotten that truth, or they just don't know it. But I would say it's they've forgotten it because Paul tells them again, do you know He's reminded them, do you know? And, and you know, as, as I look through the church and, and even sometimes in our church, even my own life and in other churches, I think that many times we forget that truth. We come to church, we worship and we sing songs and we pray and we hear the word of God and we encourage each other, but we forget that the spirit of God in all its power, in all its might is here in our midst. The Spirit of God is here in all its power of healing and all the power of forgiveness. The Spirit of God is here in its power to break the chains of addictions and, and sin. The Spirit of God is here. The very Spirit of God and the power of salvation is here in our midst. And do we, do we live that way? Do we believe that enough that, that our lives in, our, in the community context of what we call church, that our lives actually reflect that. The Spirit of God is in our midst. I wonder if we as a church don't live up to our potential because we fail to recognize the power that is in the saints gathered. Do you know that the Spirit of God even comes to the Grange on Sunday morning? And He's in our midst. And you know, these, these are just a few of so many promises of who the one is who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. That, that, that we are the light of the world. That we have been called to do good works for the kingdom of God. That, that we are, that we do possess power and authority to, to cast out demons and to heal and to see miracles. These are just a few of the promises of who we are that you are God's child, that you have been justified and you are at peace with him. That you can come before his throne, before God in freedom and confidence without reservation, without fear and bring all of your stuff right to him. Do you know that Jesus has suffered the very things that you have suffered in your life? And because of that, he extends to you grace. 
grace freely given, and that when the church gathers in the name of Jesus Christ, that the Spirit of God is in our midst. What would, what would our lives look like if we, if we really believed that and we began to live that? What would our communities begin to look like? What would our towns begin to look like? What would the world begin to look like if, if the church just believed and lived how God sees us? You know, in this story, um, Jesus is weeping and, he, and he's grieving because the people that he's weeping for, they, they don't understand who they are. They don't understand how much God loves them. They don't understand the message that, that Jesus is bringing. And, and, and Jesus, he's weeping for them. And, and, I, and I can't help but to think, is Jesus still weeping for us today? We're going to end this morning with, with this.